right, welcome in for the final four edition of the Fezzik Focus Podcast. I am AJ Hoffman, joined, as always, by the only two-time Super Contest champion, Mr. Steve Fezzik. Steve, how are you, man? I am exceptional. Are you uh, are you enjoying this tournament? I know your bankroll has, your customers' bankroll certainly have. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, but both, and that's the, <laughs> the beauty of it. I've certainly I'm gonna I'm gonna disclose this. Um, maybe I shouldn't be disclosing this. There are certainly tournaments that I've chopped away, and I've had great ter- terms in my own betting. Why? Because there's circumstances, situations of live stuff. betting and things. Live betting numbers aren't available. Sure. Davidson lands on the number. My clients push plus one, but I win because I got plus one and a half on Davidson against Michigan State when they hit that meaningless, meaningful three pointer at the buzzer. But um, this has been a rare tournament where I've been ultra selective. Clients ultra selective what I've gave out out to my clients. I bet a whole lot more because I, I will bet stuff where I'll say, hey, I'm only going to bet it if I get plus four. And plus four is not available, et cetera. So it's been a great tournament for my clients, 10 and 2. So um, hopefully we finish strong in the Final Four. The I'll ask you just as a fan, and I guess as a handicapper too, does it, like having four blue bloods left in the tournament, is that exciting to you? Is, that a, do you, is, there, is it more difficult to find value when these are four teams that everyone's been watching with a microscope all season long? Yes, I would rather uncertainty lends itself to profitability. All right, when no one knows what the St. Peter's North Carolina line should be, that usually lends itself to, sure. to better opportunities, more volatile markets. Volatility lends itself to more profitability. In terms of as a fan, I got to tell you, um, I, I actually like the college basketball game, you know, way more than the NBA. You know why? Because I get maximum effort out of all almost all of the players, even though they can't. Especially now, yeah. even though they can't shoot and they stink, and they <laughs> and, and and they're playing at such a lower. It is interesting, isn't it? How you've got a, a circumstance like in in football, no one would ever want to say, "I want to watch the USFL versus the NFL." It's such a better product. Sure, but in some ways. You know, the CFL is kind of enjoyable to watch because I think, if anything, the players, you know, don't take it down off. It seems like they try every bit as hard. They're just not as good in athletes. But certainly collegiate athletics and the effort that you get from so many of the teams is just fantastic. And so I guess as, as a fan, I much more appreciate the CFL. I was never, you know, I, I was never very appreciative of this whole, oh, these are the greatest athletes in the world. Maybe it's because I what's the movie where we like went to the foreign world and all the people were blue? Uh, Avatar. Avatar. They, you know what? One dude from Avatar comes over and all of a sudden Shaquille O'Neal can't play a lick. You know, right. he, I mean, so I mean, it's just like, why is it? Because if everyone's six feet tall and one guy is seven feet tall and coordinated, and we so like are like amazed at what a super athlete he is, you know, like a cheetah runs 60 miles an hour. Tyreek Hill is not fast. He's slow. It's all relative. I'm, I, it, it just doesn't register much f- with me. Well, let's let's look at the overall what we've learned in this tournament and what are the big takeaways. You talked a lot last week about w- the West Coast conferences and how teams from the Pacific time zone just did not show up in this tournament. Yeah, now it was a little bit arbitrary because I, we left out New Mexico State um, because we said, well, we want big-time – 
programs on the West Coast we defined to be you know multiple bid leagues. Sure. So we we took a look at the Pac-12, the West Coast Conference, and the Mountain West, and the Mountain West, and those teams collectively went one and fourteen against the spread. UCLA did beat St. Mary's. We took that game out. I've been on this train since it was like one and seven. I was like. Clearly, these teams are struggling. They're overrated. They played each other non-conference. And I think it goes back to, and we've spoken about this in bowl games also, when we see some conferences doing really well and other conferences struggling, it is rarely right to keep backing the the conference that's sucking. Like, they're going to suddenly turn it around. And yet, no one seemed to even notice. It was like UCLA, North Carolina— Oh, yeah, we'll just back UCLA. You never, never mind that every one of these West Coast teams that was, including the ones that were much better than UCLA, uh, sucked in the tournament. Nah, we'll, 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 we'll make UCLA a two-and-a-half-point favorite in Philadelphia against the Carolina team. I know it's past posting, but I did give that out to my clients, so I'm okay with talking I about it. I was with you. I'm all right. Well, I'm all right with it, too. Uh, one of the things that you, you listed in your notes today was about first-half unders. And I, I'm kicking myself last night for I, I played an under in the uh, the Xavier game uh, against St. Bonaventure. All hell broke loose yeah. late in that game. A hundred points in the second half after 61 in the first. It looked like it was going to cruise to an easy under. Why are we seeing such slow starts in these games, in your opinion? Well, it goes back to the model of we price the first half and the second half. And if we have a 120, we talked about. Eight-point difference, regular season, make it a 56 and a 64. Well, now the games are more important. Teams are playing for titles. They're tighter. They're more careful the teams are. They're not taking that marginal shot early in the shot clock. And so all things being equal, they're being more careful. The refs swallow the whistles, let the boys play. It takes longer for the teams to get into the bonuses. That hurts scoring early as well. But then what happens, the finality of that final game, no one wants to go home. No one wants to give up, and unless unless you're Arkansas and Musselman, and then you say, "Ah, we're down nine, we'll just give up," you know. <laughs> even though the Duke's in a one-on-one, and we've got a whole 55 seconds, and we could come back theoretically, um, but the vast majority of teams, um, and you saw it in a game last night where like Washington State was cooked, absolutely cooked, down 20 early in the second half, <laughs> and all, all of a sudden it was just um, a crazy eight minutes of scoring. You know, that push, you know, where there's a whole lot of scoring during that period of the game and then it slowed down. But you see that more and more in the all types of tournaments. It, well, is that something like when you see a team, and we saw it in both those NIT games last night, uh, one team jumps out to a big lead? In your opinion, that good or bad for an under at, at that point? It's bad. Um, you can get saved if it turns into a big blowout and you don't get much scoring the last three minutes. And ultimately, that kept the Washington State game under last night, under 133, because it, it just wasn't competitive at all. But you really need a 20-point blowout. A 15-point blowout ain't going to do it. Um, so you need a team to extend and, and get up by that 20 points. Yeah, and I was worried in the, uh, the Kansas-Miami game. In fact, I was worried that... Kansas was so far back that it, it may, you know, we may see this big rush and they'll, you know, they're going to hit it, take it to the over. 
but Miami did scored only 15 points in the second half. So that saved the day there. That mm-hmm. it, it ended up being enough of a blowout that Miami wasn't fouling late in the game. I was, but it, it, rarely are you going to have one team getting blown out flip to the other team blowing a team out. Now, McKenzie, I know before the tournament started, you had some numbers, I believe, just in the first round, right, on how first half unders were gold in prior tournaments. And it turned out in this tournament, I think you made like you know, peanuts if you played the first half unders early, but then from the sweet 16 on, I think it's been one and 11 that the first half unders and the game unders, it hasn't just been the first half as these games have gotten more important. And, you know, part of it may well have been, you had a situation where one team was tight and being careful, the the better team. And then you had another team that was like a lesser seed, like a St. Peter's and the like that absolutely knew their best interest was to try to keep it slow to uh, maximize their chance of winning. So that could have helped and explained why there were just so many unders here in the last couple rounds. Yeah, last year, 65% unders for the entire tournament. So far this year, 60%. Doing well if you're betting first half unders. Is that where we're looking in these final four games? Is that still going – or is – is the uh, is the market going to adjust and say, okay, we're tired of this, we're we're bumping up these numbers? Let, let me clarify. So, so the sixty five and the sixty were first half numbers. Do you have the game the total numbers? Because I know it was similar this year at sixty percent. I don't know if that was true last year. This year, fifty five percent. If you're betting full game unders, last year it was fifty six percent. Okay, so fifty six fifty five the last two years, but it was sixty five sixty if you play first half unders. Yeah, I, I think given, am I correct on that? Yeah. Okay. So, so if you like an under, aren't aren't you automatically looking at least to split your bet between first at half? At least that's a good point. That you don't have to bet you know one hundred percent. The only issue with that is that what happens is that sometimes the odds makers screw up and they put up a dumbo number, and you're like, I'm not going to get a first half n- a number for another day, and I know this total is completely wrong. This happened with both NIT games mm-hmm. that like the Xavier total went from like one forty three to one forty. And the Washington State total went from like 136 down to 133, right. so or 132. So if you wait for the first half number, now you're going to get compromised because you're going to lose the value on the game. So ultimately, like making a bet on each, I think, does indeed make a lot of sense. But given those numbers are overwhelming, and now we got a football stadium we're playing in, so I think first half under now that the game and the first halves, you know, are in line with their normal market valuations like on Villanova I think you play the under 61 and a half and also with with three of these four teams and Kansas being the exception uh basically playing between six and seven man rotations it feels like you don't want to nobody's going to want to run in these games because you've got a game on Monday too and it's you, we talk about you know teams tighten up in the big moments and things like that. I don't think any team is going to want to go out there and make this an 80-possession game because they've got to play Monday, and they're playing with six or seven guys. You know Villanova's not going to want to. I agree with you strongly in Villanova, and even Jay Wright was asked that question, and he dodged it, of course. He's like, well, I'm not going to give away the game plan, but I don't want to run with those gazelles. Yeah, game, Villanova's that. game plan's always the same. It's, Muck it up. It's let's play 55, 60 possessions. I, right, I am not sure about Duke and North Carolina, though. I am not confident that either one of those teams is going to say, you know what, Monday is, you know, is looming and we're going to we're going to go ahead and stay under control and the like because that's not what either one of those teams has done all year long. So I think Duke will feel like they're more comfortable 
with a very fast pace, and I'm not sure North Carolina isn't the same way. Well, North Carolina is a, a, a higher tempo team in the regular season than Duke to begin with, but it just feels like, man, you're They're both top twenty. Uh, no, North Carolina is 39. And oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Duke is uh, they're like middle of the pack, like 170, 175. Duke is middle of the pack. Yeah. You know, I would be really curious to see because Coach K is notorious for really slowing it down with the lead. I'd be really curious to see Duke's first half splits because we love betting Duke unders when they're up 20 in the second half and live. Maybe you'd also, I mean, because Duke is a team that plays in a lot of, you know, games where they're not competitive, maybe see what Duke's tempo is like in the games that are competitive. And they've got a lot of opponents that say, oh, I'm so out, I'm so out-athleted, I have to muck it up and slow it down. Coming into this tournament, and I'll, you know, I, I'll say that I had low expectations of Duke certainly coming into this tournament. Uh, they have... I think exceeded all expectations. They they're three and one against the spread so far in this tournament. The the one loss being to Cal State Fullerton, where they're the basically parted like the Red Sea. Yeah, they, if they anyone lo- who missed that, <laughs> so Fullerton's down nine, down seventeen. Duke gets a score with six seconds left. A lot of times, teams just just dribble it out. Down. Right. And, uh, no dude, just like like he took it to the rim, like his life depended on it, and and Duke defensed it. Like they had Cal State Fullerton plus the 18 and a half. Yeah, and it ends up landing 17. So a, a win if you bet against Duke in that one. But Michigan State, Texas Tech, Arkansas, all easy covers. Uh, but North Carolina, the same thing. I mean, it, it, which of these teams has impressed you more based on what they've done versus what you expected coming in? Because obviously North Carolina was an eight seed. Expectations were were tempered on them to begin with, but Duke was, as a two seed, a lot of people thought maybe even a little bit overseeded given what the ACC had been this year. What what Which of these two teams has impressed you more? North Carolina, by leaps and bounds. I think Duke is fraudulent. I think that Duke, yes, they could have covered the Fullerton game, but they were beyond fortunate to cover against Sparty. They were life and death to win the damn game. Same with Texas Tech. Oh, it looks good. Oh, they they were never in trouble. They were in lots of trouble in that game. So with five minutes to play. And so here's two straight games in their tournament run that were not clean wins at all. Whereas I can make the case North Carolina, you know, that overtime win against Baylor, throw a big asterisk by it. Because it was a blowout until there was an ejection. Yes. And so then, and then they didn't have a guy that could inbound the ball anymore. So uh, wins uh, win by a zillion against Marquette. Uh, win against UCLA, a clear-cut top-20 team, and beat a one seed and beat the the heck out of them. You know, uh, Carolina, uh, they've covered every game, and there's there's nothing not to like about this team that's been 16-3, and three, you know, their last 19. One thing that's interesting about Carolina, their last 19 games, they've had one game decided by less than seven points. So when things are going well, this is contrary to the – the Baylor game. When things are going well, this team kicks ass. But when things aren't going well and they get behind, trouble. Well, there's also, a, a, you know, you mentioned the 19 games, and they've gone 16-3 and three in their last 19. There was a major change that happened at that point of the season. If you recall, Dawson Garcia, who was a transfer from Marquette and was expected to be he, – he was actually going to go – he was testing NBA waters – and said, you know what, I'm going to go back to school. And he transferred from Marquette to North Carolina. He left the team to go take care of his family. He's got like a sick grandmother, a sick dad in Minnesota. So he, he left the program 
uh, and that put Brady Manick as a full-time starter. That is the cutoff line. Since since that day, since Dawson Garcia left the program, they're 16-3. and three. Isn't Manick playing like a maniac? He's been playing very well. The problem with Manick is he is um, – I try, I'll try to put it nicely. He's not. He's not a great defensive player. He's. Uh, he's what you would call a liability. Okay. And it, it, we, when you saw them play Duke the first time, uh, they said, "Well, we're not going to do. We're not going to put Manic on uh, Bencaro. That's a terrible idea." So they didn't. They put him on AJ Griffin, and AJ Griffin basically went off. So in the second game, they flipped and they put uh, Leaky Black, who was on Bancaro, their best offensive player, who was on Bancaro in the first game. They put him on Griffin and put Manic on Bancaro. AJ Griffin disappeared into the into the mm-hmm. void. Was a nothing. Bancaro really good first half, and then not a great second half. But it, by that point, the game was such a blowout anyway that it, it didn't really matter how how tough the defense was. So now in the first game, the shots the the, the shot selection site you have actually had that game being a a, coin a tie. Flip. Yeah, yeah, shot quality. Uh, it basically takes a look at how those teams how those teams should do based on the shots that they took in that game, and they called that a, a basically a coin flip game. And that was a game that, in reality, was a, a, a blowout win for Duke, a twenty point mm-hmm. win. Uh, that's it, the based on if they play that game a thousand times more often than not, it's a, it's going to be a coin flip. So, um, yeah, I, I think that how they use Manic, who they decide to put Manic on, and how he holds up defensively is going to be really, really key for for North Carolina in this game. You know, the bottom line is if Carolina wins the game, we're going to have a debate about which which is the better team, and if we can have that debate, that means that I have to look to Carolina. Or I have to pass the game. There's no way I could play Duke. Um, to the other game, the Nova-Kansas game, and I'll be honest, Villanova was a team before the brackets were released that I was almost certain was going to be in one, one of my final, like in my final four. The only two teams that I knew were going to be in my final four were Gonzaga and Arizona, and Villanova happened to get thrown into the same region as mm-hmm. as Arizona. So... I, I didn't put Villanova in my Final Four. I thought coming into this tournament they were built to to do well in this tournament. I would have easily picked them to win given the Final Four had there not been an injury to Justin Moore. How has the market accounted for that injury to Moore? And is it, is it an overreaction, an underreaction? Where are we at with that? Overreaction, I believe. So if Justin Moore had been 100%, I think most feel Kansas would have been a very slight favorite. One to one and a half? Yes. So weirdest, weird, just weird. The market goes ahead and moves to three with Justin Moore. Everyone talking, oh, that that's an Achilles. He's, sure. he's toast. But, you know, they, they did did the x-ray, no broken bones. Yeah. We, like that we, matters now. Yeah, we know. We know there's no broken <laughs> bones. He's got an Achilles injury, all right? So line's three. I wanted to ask you about this. You know, I'm talking to other experts. I talk talk to Brad Powers and, and like, and we're like, all right. So um, the lines, you know, the line moves to three, and we do, and, and we took a piece of Kansas because we thought it. You know what? What's going to happen is that this guy's going to get reported out, and then the market's going to overreact to that, even though it's already reacted, and that's exactly what happened. So, like clockwork, he gets reported out, and then the people who've been betting exhibition baseball and the NBA and everything else under the sun says, oh, really important guy. He's injured. He's out, and we're, and they moved the game a point and a half up to four and a half. 
but it already moved a point and a half based upon the expected news. So I think they double. They, they had a bang bang. They 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 ate twice on this injury in one, <laughs> two for one. So it should have moved from one and a half to three, and it moved from one and a half to four and a half. I get it. Villanova is a very short team, and they don't have much depth. And Gillespie is not a hundred percent. So maybe it should have been worth two. Bottom line is, hey, at four and a half, I think you got to look towards Villanova. All right. Uh, let's take a look at the NBA. And I'll be honest. First, I want to I want to give you kudos because I followed you along on the Memphis uh, wins win total. Fifty three and a half that came out at the All-Star break. They're now at 53. All we need is one pin, Rodney. I'm feeling one good. One pin. I'm feeling good. Like, they're winning games without John Morant. They beat the Warriors the other night. I was like, oh, yeah, this is money in the bank. So I'm excited about that. Uh, you got a piece of that, then? I did get a, a piece of that, yes, Mackenzie, sir. you got a piece of that? No. My, it was my only, uh, my only NBA bet of the entire season. But I was I, – I, preseason, I was very high on the Grizzlies – and I asked an NBA expert what they think of the Grizzlies' win total over, and they said, "Nah, I don't think so." Hmm. Well, did I tell you to bet I, the under, or no. did I give you no opinion? <laughs> he gave which me, is also the same opinion as millions of betters across the world. I didn't so I don't say see how your, I'm even revol- involved in this conversation. I didn't say your name. I was talking about another NBA oh, expert. Oh, another NBA expert. But I'm going to throw Grizzlies. I'm going to throw Mackenzie <laughs> under the bus here. So, so Mackenzie, what percentage of my bets would you say are unders versus overs? I don't know. I'll throw out, throw it out. Unders versus overs. 50-50. Okay. Inter- I would guess 60-40. It's like 80-20. Oh, okay. That big. Unders. And the reason being is, let's say I get help in the market, okay? I, if, if, um, if I'm shopping a New York Yankee total, okay, and everybody is dealing the Yankees at 91, I'm never going to get a 90. But I'll get a 92 or I'll get a 92 sure. and a half at a donk shop. I mean, I can, o- I can almost always get rogue numbers high. But I can very rarely get any rogue number low because think about the public's all betting overs. So where I'm going is that it is so rare that I'll come out and say, hey, here's a public team that I like over. All right. And that this was the case with Memphis. That was my best bet. I said at the All-Star break, this is a ludicrous number. We're going over with Memphis over 53 and a half. So it's so rare. I haven't tracked this. But when I'm on like a public overside, a good team to go over, it, it always wins. It never loses because I'm so programmed not to make plays like that that when it lines up, it almost always has an astronomical, you know, plus EV value to it. Well, I listen, I, I being I, I don't follow the NBA closely enough to even have a feeling. I just like the Grizzlies roster. I said, oh, I feel like there's a team that they should be coming together at this point. So someone tells me, oh, they're not that good. I just assume you know, it's probably me just having a bias towards some of these players. It's like right. Yes. So I'm like, I, it, I just said, ah, no. Of course, the Grizzlies end up being like the surprise of the year. So me being frustrated when you said they still had value at fifty three and a half, I got excited and I went and you know put some down on them because I, I, I did want to have a little piece of that team coming into the season. So uh, glad that they have. You know, they've worked out and and are going to finish the season strong enough to get over that. Um, There are three teams left with 20 wins, Detroit, Orlando, and Houston. You would think, because they all get the same shot at winning the the number one overall pick, that nobody has any real incentive to tank at this point, right? 
It would seem that way because Oklahoma City has 22 wins, so they're two wins clear of those three bottom feeders. So as we wrap up, you'd think, ah, oh, 14% chance to get the number one pick. No real incentive to wind up with the worst record in the NBA. Not so fast, my friend. What's this? There are guarantees. I didn't know this. I looked this up just the other day. If you're the worst record in the NBA, you're guaranteed to have a top five pick in the lottery. Can't do worse. Because only the the top four get put, or like they, th- that's the only spots that can be switched in the lottery. I thought it was only the top three even. The worst team gets a guaranteed top five. Okay. The second worst team gets a guaranteed top six. The third worst team gets a guaranteed top seven. Okay. So on the top end, you have the same chance to get the number one, but... You can't, you can't fall as far. Can't fall out of the top suck. five if you're the worst team. Yes. And same thing if you're the second worst team, the top six. I think that this is a factor. If it was me and I stunk all year long and now there's five games left, I'm going to lose the last five. I'm, I'm going to get me my top five pick and lock it in. Uh, so we will see how Detroit, Orlando, and Houston approaches. Obviously, Houston is not playing with a whole lot of fight or effort. Detroit has been playing with a lot of fight and effort. Orlando somewhere in between the two. Um, Orlando had been playing very hard, but they've um, come come against some hard times here in the last week or so. So let's follow those teams very closely, especially as we approach the finish line at the very end. It wouldn't surprise me the last game or two if um, we don't empty the bench completely and evaluate talent, make sure we don't win a game that could hurt us. Let's get into some NFL talk uh, and discuss, obviously, the big rule change that happened or was announced yesterday with the NFL, in the playoffs at least, guaranteeing both teams one possession in overtime. RJ and I discussed it on Straight Out of Vegas. I, I don't think there's a way that you can say that this isn't more fair than the old system. At at a minimum, it's more fair than it was. Do you agree? Strongly agree. Now, the question becomes, does the team that wins the coin flip still have an edge? And if so, how much has it diminished? They still have an edge. It's greatly diminished, but it's clear to me that they still have an edge. I've been fighting on Twitter with people left and right. And finally, I did. I did a Fezic where I where they just they won't they're thro- they're, they're thrown out. But the team that gets the ball second now they have perfect information, like college football sure. in the fir- in that first overtime. They know what they need, and this you know you've got to go for it on fourth down. You know you've got to go for two. Like exactly right. If if the other team scored a touchdown, you know you need to touchdown, and then you need to go for two after you score the touchdown. You have no choice. You you do it every time, and so that perfect information is strong. I will argue this. If your opponent kicks a field goal, you don't really have perfect information. Now it becomes difficult because now you're not sure, hmm, you know, that three is worth something. I don't lose. Right. But now I'm really up against it. The other team, you know, it's going to get the ball in a sudden death overtime. Um, I would be shocked if you ran all the numbers that you didn't come up with, hey, getting the ball first still gives you an advantage in, in really every scenario um, because – the two-for-one, that if, if you tie after each team has one possession, you both punt or you both kick a field goal, then obviously the team with the ball has a huge edge. I will say this. If you took it to the very, very most extreme, the weather if the weather is terrible, absolutely terrible, and the offenses couldn't move the ball at all, I think it's better to get the ball second. I also think if you're playing Madden 
and you can't stop anyone, and everyone right. is going to score a touchdown 80% of the time. Well, the Bills-Chiefs game is a good example. <laughs> the well, the, the end game of that was it, it, four it, touchdowns in the last I get, two, three minutes. I get, I get that. I get that. But still, nevertheless, if there was a lineup, will, the, will Kansas City score a touchdown this drive? They weren't like minus 500. Now, maybe they should have been, yeah. but they weren't. I mean, and, and, and so, I mean, no, it's easy to say, oh, it's obvious those teams would keep scoring. Well, during the in-game wagering, you could have just kept betting over and won a bajillion dollars, but people didn't do that. You know, the models still looked at the pre-flop number and adjusted upward, not to the point where the, the, the offense has no chance to fail. So I think that's a little, you know, unrealistic. Um, By the way, in that game, 20 possessions, 10 touchdowns. Yeah. yeah, it seemed like it seemed like there was no, and obviously it sounds defense, about right. The defense get well. That's only fifty fifty. Doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> sounds wrong. Sounds like you know the, the narrative is there's no chance the defense could stop. But I get the defenses were tired. Yeah, let's let's extrapolate that to the uh, the fourth quarter or third, you know halftime on. It's... So, so I'm disagreeing with the Twitter people, and these are some sharp guys. And at some point, I just say I just say, God damn it! I'll just bet you. I'll just bet you that whoever <laughs> wins the toss is going to not only take the ball. But the markets are going to agree with me, and the money is going to come on that team. But the money won't come as much. As an example, if two teams were equal, under the current stupid rules that no one could some and, and, and I'm getting in, in trouble. I don't really think I'm getting in trouble because some people are like, uh, some people are like, I, I one guy posted, I speak for everyone that this rule change wasn't needed. And I came on and I said, I That's speak, just a dopey I, thing I to speak say. for everyone. That everyone's smart knows that the rule change was needed because it was so in, un, unfair. What, where, what would you say it was? 80-20 to the, the team that wins a coin toss at that point? No, no. It, it, I would say it was worth like 25 cents. Now, obviously, the higher the total, the more it's worth. But like if, 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 it, if it was a pick em, I would say team team has the ball minus 135. Okay, right? what do you think it's going to be now? Now I think it's going to be more like minus 117. Okay. Okay. It's going to be it's still an edge, but a smaller one. But uh, people were like, "Well, it's unbiased. Who got the ball? So it's fair. You know, it's just it's just fifty fifty. And I'm like, that would almost be like, all right, an eighth grade team is playing the Super Bowl champion, and whoever wins the coin toss wins. That's unbiased. That's okay. No, but it's not fair. It's like you you can't have any rule or any system in play that greatly benefits one side or the other. And so in this case. It's close enough. I'm perfectly fine, and with it being a playoff run, I'm perfectly fine. Keep it the same during the regular season because there's so many games, 17 games. It's okay if you get a a team gets gifted a win because they win a coin flip. So my question is, and and I, I you know who knows when when we'll be able to settle this or when we'll have an idea of if you were right or wrong on it. But if I said over the next 10 playoff overtime games, how often will the team that scores a touchdown on their first possession go for two after scoring that touchdown 100 percent. you know the, the first team to do it well zero 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 for sure zero for sure no one wow go for okay two. be beyond stupid because if i don't get it i lose the other team you it obviously if the other team doesn't score a touchdown it's irrelevant so remove that from the equation the only thing that's relevant is touchdown touchdown you cannot go for two unless you're playing madden and you, and if you succeed 84 percent of the time but that's okay so look at the like the chiefs bills game as an example where a game where both defenses were clearly just drained the chiefs score a touchdown there if they give the ball back to the bills they know what's going to happen the bills are going to go score a touchdown less than half the time less than half 
Okay. I'd say 40. You know, maybe, I would maybe say I'll in that, in, in that game, 50. I'd say at least half the time. You know, all right, fair enough. I'll go. You're, you bring up a good point. You got four downs. Maybe it should be 50 50. And they're going to go for two, obviously. And they're going to get it like 55% of the time. So if you had gone for two and against their tired defense, now you're giving yourself back the edge of getting that third possession, that sudden death possession. So you still eat 0% that a team will, will score first and go for two. They can't because they lose if they miss it. Okay. And they don't, they, they, they only going to win 25%. In, in other words, if you go for two, it is true that if you get three possessions, you have an edge, and you're going to win about 65%. Massive edge. If you're you're going to win like 65% of the time if, they, if it goes to the third possessions. But the problem is, is that you're going to lose almost half the time when you fail. So 50% of the time right off the bat, or 45% of the time, you lose. You have a 55% chance of making the two, so 45% of the time, you lose. Um, so I have 100 trials, 45 of the times you lose. The other 55 of the trials, yes, the, the, way, the only way you lose is the other team has to make their two and beat you then in the overtime. But you know what? They're going to go better than 10, 10 and 45, you know, in those 55 trials. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, exciting time of year. You've been saying, hey, I'm waiting for these numbers to come out. NFL season win totals have come out. Uh, what is the way to look? I know last year with the imbalanced schedule, the, the nine home games, eight road games, that was a big factor. What are we looking at this season? We, we are looking at AFC unders. And I always talk about I want unders. I don't want any overs. The number one uh, factor I will turn the radio dial off immediately when a a guy comes on and says, here comes our expert on season wins, and he has four overs and one under. Click, don't even want to hear. (laughs) Maybe I should be listening, but the point is every pro I know that actually does this for a living knows they have to play more unders just because we talked about earlier in the podcast because there is a bias towards higher numbers. Not just if you take the market average, it should some, we've spoken about this, to like 8.45 because there can be a tie. Every like there was a tie last year, but it's not. It's like eight point five five. So it's enough of a biased already that if you bet every game, you didn't shop at all, and everyone dealt minus one ten in each direction, and you bet every game under, you would push. If you bet every game over, you wouldn't lose at a four and a half percent crack. You'd lose at like a nine percent crack. So right off the bat, there's that bias, and then the second bias is it's not unusual that you get a rogue number high on a team where everybody's dealing twelve and. One book will put up a 12 and a half. And so you can steal bets. And I stole a lot of them last year, frankly. A lot of games, like the Chargers, win nine games, you know, or nine sure. and a halves out there, et, et cetera. So um, a lot of opportunity, you know, playing unders. And, you know, I was in the Westgate season win contest last year and I finished second. Um, so I got $6,500 in that contest, went 23, seven and two. I had a whole lot more unders than overs. You know, for this very reason. So we, I, I, I want to play unders, but I really want to play AFC unders. So if you're looking at, it, like, are you almost crossing off any idea of AFC overs? And if you're going to look at any overs, they're going to be in the NFC this year? I'm I'm crossing them off. I will say this, like, uh, I'll use an example. The Dodgers, I, the Dodgers opened 96 and a half. They're currently at 99. The Dodgers were a good bet to play over 96 and a half. It's completely contrary to what everything I'm saying here. Well, why? Because the bookmaker just put up a dumb number. They just got, got the Dodgers wrong, and the Dodgers got better, and so there was value there. So there are exceptions to every rule, but yes, I'm crossing off AFC overs because it flies in the face of 
across the board I should be looking unders, and the AFC plays nine road games this year, only eight home games, and the market doesn't reflect that enough. So, boom, I want to play AFC teams to go under. That's the, the subset to look for. All right, and you want to give a best bet? Sure. You know, I'm going to give one on this focus pod. I'm going to give a different one. On okay, the Dream good. Pod. So you got to tune into the Dream Pod. You know what? I am going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs under 11. You got, I think, lay minus $1.45 right now. I think this Tyreek Hill injury, you know, I haven't valued it. The one, injury, the Tyreek Hill trade. Yes. It yeah. doesn't really matter, does He's it? gone. Yeah, the defection. <laughs> uh, I've always said that, that he's one of those rare guys when he's 100% healthy. He's worth the point and a half. You know what? He might be worth more because of how he just stretches the field for everyone and because it's the Mahomes-Hill connection that is so valuable because it's not like Tiger Hill is going to be that valuable with Tua, but when you've got a quarterback that can improvise and just chuck the ball 60 yards down the field across his body and find him, like Mahomes is uniquely qualified to do, it makes that guy worth even more. And now your safeties have to stay so far back that it just opens up the whole field for these very average other wide receivers like Hardman you know, and Pringle. <laughs> By the, way, the, the report out of Kansas City, the Kansas City Chiefs are very interested in finding a top-flight wide receiver. Like, well, maybe you can talk to the Dolphins about trading for Tyreek Hill. How about that? <laughs> and where are you going to find one of those guys? That's crazy. Yeah. So, and if you look at the you look at the schedule, uh, the field games, the three field games. Remember, they added one. Uh, they have to play Buffalo, Kansas City does, and they got to go at Cincinnati, at Tampa Bay. That's not good. They have to play the NFC West. That's not good. That's not good. They do get the AFC South, which is a break. But you know what? Look at that division. The Raiders are an above-average team. Well, the Broncos like, are very good. The Chargers are the very Broncos good. The Broncos are a contender. The Chargers are a contender. I'm with you. Yeah, so it we're seems gonna go, tough. We're going to go under. The, the, Kansas State only won 12 last year. Their, their, their numbers aren't any good. They got six point. They, their, their net yards per play differential, 0.3, 0.3. If Mahomes gets hurt, you win. You mm-hmm. cash your ticket. So under 11, lay the extra vig on Kansas City. Yeah, McKenzie posted this. The average uh, win total for an AFC team is 8.8. The average for an NFC team is 8.3. And, and then the, the overall average is 8.56, which is, right. you know. And what's interesting is obviously the AFC is better than the NFC, but 12 17ths of your schedule is against other AFC teams. It's against other AFC teams. And, and get- 9 17ths of your schedule is on the road. Yes, and if you look at that NFC, they get to play. Oh well, they get to, they still get to play five cupcake games against the NFC. No, they don't. They get to play the goddamn NFC West. Yeah, that's Tampa, tough. At Tampa Bay, so they basically I mean, got to play the you know you know the, 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 uh, there's only like seven good teams in the NFC, and they get to play four of them. So here's my question then, because when you look at the the so my thought would be okay, the AFC West is playing the NFC West. That like obviously that's a tough division too. The AFC West is a tough division. It's kind of a murderer's row. I mean, the Raiders were the—they've got to play a second-place schedule, which they're expected to be the fourth-best team. The Broncos were—they're playing a fourth-place schedule, but the Broncos are so like that's—they're so priced into you know what how good they're going to be. It's hard to fathom. You you losing money playing all four teams in this division under right? That's what I'm it's thinking. Like, it, like, are they all going to go eleven and and and? 
It feels like six. three out of the four of them are going to go under their win total. I, you know, I think that's strong. I, 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 I and, and the beauty of that is that we talk about like, you know, bankroll management and the like, and you hate to tie up your money, but if, um, if one of them goes over, then if, if you told me right now, Kansas City is going over, for instance, I'd be like, oh, God, I love the, the other three teams under. Because now sure. if Ken, Kansas City has to win 12 games, 13 games to go over, well, now they're going to they're gonna beat two of these other three teams 2-0. Right. The, li- the likelihood that a team in that division is going to go 5-1 and one in division seems low. And if they do, well, that's bad news for the other three. Yes. So, and again, it, you're playing the NFC West. The, the AFC West is... If you're if you're taking an over, good luck. And I, there's a lot of teams there that the Chiefs, the you know the the Broncos, the Chargers are all teams that I think people are high on this year. They're going to say, oh, they're going to win 12, 13 games. And and we can be very optimistic. We can, we 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 can dream about quarterback injuries because every one of these teams is dead in the water if they lose their quarterback. That's true. Although, boy, it sure seems like. You've got four pretty durable, historically durable guys in that league. Russell Wilson coming off an injury last year, but historically durable. Patrick Mahomes, like, his knee got turned inside out, and he was back, like, the next day. Still missed still missed two and a half games those, uh, two years ago. Well, yeah, I mean, but those guys are just uh, – No, they're Super Bowl year. Freak they're of Super nature. Super Bowl year, he missed he – missed, He missed a couple games. I think I – think I think, Was it three? I thought he was just yeah. missed one. He missed no, uh, because he they his backup came in for like three quarters of a game, and then he missed two games, and then he okay. came back for, te- for 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 Tennessee. But Carr was all banged up. Mariota probably should have been playing a couple of those games yeah. when he was hobbling around. So as these guys get older, you know, and I know Mahomes isn't old, but um, he certainly has had. He more is an issue that he doesn't play as well when he's injured. He keeps, you know, he keeps going out there, but he isn't 100. percent If I if I said right now, gun to head, you've got to play one of these AFC West teams over the win total. Who's the one? F you. <laughs> I don't have to. No, thank you. Chiefs Chiefs are at 11. The Broncos and Chargers at 10, and the Raiders at eight and a half. God, I just hate. I, you know what? The, it shows how strong it is because, like, literally, you could give me any of those at plus one twenty, and I just, I'd be like, "Are you kidding me?" Of course, I don't want that. And of course, to bet the over on the Broncos and Chargers, but Chargers are minus one twenty to bet the over. Broncos are minus one twenty five to bet. And the believe over. me, there's going to be plenty of um, people that are going to analyze the, the rosters and conclude that team is so loaded. But I don't care, you know, who they have to play. And so it's like a poker game. RJ uses this example. Who cares if you have, you know, um, Phil Ivey and he's and he's tremendous. If he has to play against Jennifer Harmon and six other really good players, at best he's got a small edge versus give me Jamie Gold against seven Taurus, and he might even win the whole tournament. Oh, that did happen. <laughs> Every once in a while. All right. Sorry, before, Jamie. B- before we get out of here, the casinos. They're not treating you right. Last week we talked about your new membership. They, they, those guys are treating you right at Caesars. They're they're treating you like a king. You know, I found something out about Caesars. People are gonna get mad at me for disclosing this. I was so stoked because I got my seven stars card. Like I can go into any gym and work out Caesars properties. Well, that's not really a perk because these casinos are so understaffed that even at Caesars Palace. When I went in there, so I walked past. I, I walked past the spa. I asked him, "Where's the where's where's the the gym area?" They they oh, it's right down there. Just walk right in. Don't need a room key. Don't they, need, you didn't have to show them your card. No, because Ugh. these casinos have become so. They have cut their budget so much. So during COVID, they cut back so far, 
and now the customers have returned, and they are just lopping on the parking fees, the resort fees, the, the restaurants just get more and more and more expensive, and the staffing and the amenities have not followed at all. Like, I, I, I can't even imagine. So now you're paying resort fees, and there's less people working the resort? There's, there's nobody working in the gym. You're on your own. You, know, you just walk in. There's not there's not even an, an attendant. If you need waters, just walk through. Go into the Caesars gym and help yourself to 10 of them, and you're you're good to go. Put it in your fanny pack because it's just there, wow. there for the taking, um, at least when I was there. And the... I tell you what, the, as far as the experience, I've been talking about how you know I cut the line now in Starbucks because they, they've got the, the seven stars line. <laughs> Fez sent me a picture from Starbucks line the other day about all the people who were pissed off at him. Angry mob. <laughs> angry, angry mob. You know, I don't even bother getting specialty drinks. I just grab like four juices because otherwise I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to get like taken out in the parking lot or something. But, but seriously, it's like a 15-minute wait for people for Starbucks. And I'm like... How can they not staff up? I mean, the balking rate has to be astronomical in terms of people like, I can't wait in the line that long. And you know their markup sure. is, is, is like 70% versus yeah, their casino cost. markup. I mean, so why why aren't there like more like like coffee shops suddenly being opened um, by the casinos? I guess it's just really hard to hire people right now. I guess so. It seems like, you know, as the, the world is coming back uh, around, it's harder to find people who are like, yeah, I want to work again. Uh, doesn't seem like it should be, but I guess it certainly is. All right. That will do it, friends, for another Fezic Focus podcast. Uh, obviously, subscribe to this feed. If you're not, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, but we're going to do a dream preview tonight, Get break down those two Final Four games. Give you another best bet NFL season win. We will all have an NFL best bet on season win totals uh, got a couple in that of MLB pod. season wins I'm going to discuss. Oh, you're already ready for that, huh? Look at you. So, obviously, you're going to want to stay tuned for that. And, obviously, on that same feed, you can get uh, McKenzie's NBA podcast, which is fantastic. Uh, we're actually doing a test run of a Major League Baseball podcast. Uh, Ooh, who's, our, who's our experts? Well, right. It's TBD right now. One of them is going to be Griffin Warner, who I did the college basketball podcast with. Uh, but we're doing a couple test runs to see if we if we've got the right guy to work with him. How did he do in Vegas when he was out here? Back? I think he did well. Good. I think he had a good time out here. So um, he's a, and he's actually going to be part of the team. He's going to be uh, you're going to be able to uh, to get his picks at pregame.com. So he's a guy that we are uh, we're featuring, and he's going to be featured in the MLB podcast. Uh, and then, of course, you know it won't be long before we're back to to football season, and we're doing full blown three hour dream previews again. You know I have big goes. MLB news. May I disclose, please. I have just inked a deal with a guy that just does MLB, old school guy, very good, and does all his numbers. Bets at like six in the morning before the lines move. And so I am going to be getting his plays at 6 a.m. So Ink the deal, huh? Yes. What's the tr- what's the trade-off? Uh, Is it NFL? I that's that's not relevant to Okay. It's, it's, no one needs to know what I'm spending. Okay. All right. For 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 this guy, let's just say that I expect to have one of my best MLB years ever based upon this um uh arrangement I have. I will also make an announcement. I will not be betting Major League Baseball this year because I am terrible at it. So uh, I, I'll. How do you know? I've tried it. I, I probably I probably quit. I I got off of it about five years ago. I was like, man, I keep winning at football and college basketball, 
And then I'm donking it off betting the NBA and Major League Baseball, so I just stopped betting either of those sports. And let, let me ask you this. Maybe you're going to go 1-0 on the year. Houston Astros, 92.5, looks asinine to me. I don't. You have to go under. Am I correct? Still playing a weak division, and Justin Verlander's back. Pitching still pretty strong. Is he like 90? When, have you have you seen Justin Verlander not be good? Mm. <laughs> to, how old's Tom Brady? Like 90. You, yeah, but it, it, haven't you learned that lesson? I, I saw. I saw. Um, <laughs> oh God, Kenny Stabler also. He wasn't. Oh so uh, well. I, I well, listen. Why would they be worse than last year? They won 95 games. They made the World Series. Uh, they lost what Carlos Correa. Yeah, he's worth five games. What, what, can you look up his 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 WAR, McKenzie? Yeah, I'll look up his WAR. So losing Correa, adding back Verlander, I don't know. I, I, I'm a, I, I have a hard time seeing the Astros lose. Oh, I, like if I, if you said they were going to win less than ninety, I'd say no. I don't. I don't think so. So ninety-two is just like eh, it's too. It's too close for a me. A lot to- of these teams have gotten a lot better. You know, like if you look at like the money on like the White Sox and the Twins and the Tigers, there's a whole bunch of, you know, teams. People are very bold. The Blue Jays in the American League. There's those, a, those are all AL East and AL Central teams. Still got a, still Nobody's got a, bullish on the, the Mariners. Nobody's bullish on the A's. Uh, it's certainly true about the, the, the A's are getting, are down to like 68 for their season win, but, 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 you know, the angels are at 85, you know, the, the angels, angels are always high. The and angels then they, are, you know, that's another one. I, every year I bet the angels under Yeah. every year, the angels are lined above 500 and they never have a chance to get there. It's like the, the, it's, it's like the most overvalued 550 projected team in the history of the, of, of, of MLB, just because they've got trout. And, um, and 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 obviously the, the the MVP, but the rest of the team just stinks. Yeah, Carlos Correa seven point two WAR last season. What's ninety five minus seven? Yeah, that's uh, eighty eight under ninety two and a half. All right. Well, good luck. Uh, we will talk to you during the Dream Pod, which will be the next thing up in this feed. Appreciate you guys listening. Thanks to McKenzie for running it. Thanks to Steve Fezzik, and we will talk to you soon. Hey.